and I'm going to say I'm annoyed at the third Paragon War suit. I thought I knew what I was <laughs> doing, and they put the gun on the wrong side. <laughs> they did, or you did? Uh, I did, because I was like, oh, they, the little <laughs> bolt pistol's always on the right pocket. And this one, the third one, has it on the left pocket. This sister is not left-handed. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so. in a in a squad, that makes sense. You have a left-handed person running point on one side, a right-handed person running point on the other side, and then it doesn't matter, the person in the middle. This person in the middle is the superior. Sure. She's ambidextrous. Yeah. <laughs> Kill you with both hands. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is going to take a break from long episodes. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yeah, uh, our last episode clocked in at uh, after editing at over four hours long, and that was a, a bear of a project to edit, so um, we're going to take it easy. Remember when we said we were going to keep things to like two hours? <laughs> I remember I, I that remember. too. Pepperidge, just, yeah. Pepperidge hey. Farmer members. <laughs> I think we were all excited about the Sisters Codex. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we were. We were. And we were right about the Paragon War suits. <laughs> yes. Yes, we were. Uh, although, technically, no official FAQ yet, but the app's been updated, and the app says that Paragon War suits cost 240 for the unit, 80, 80 points a suit, but since it's a fixed unit of three, it's always mm. 240, plus 10 points for Meltaguns. And they reduce damage to a minimum of one, although Celestine still doesn't. She has no cap on her damage reduction. And as of right now, like I got an email from uh, Nate Martin at Show Me Showdown that he sent out to all the players that are signed up and said, unless we see an FAQ between now and then within our deadline of FAQs before the event, Celestine is immune to damage one weaponry. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. I mean, I'll, that'll be fun for you, not for other people. <laughs> not not so much, yeah. But yeah, so we were right. We were and it, like you said, you were, we were excited about that episode, but we're going to bring it down a little bit. We're going to we're going to kind of just chill in this episode a little bit. And just a it's solid actually two and been, a half hours or so. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it we're actually in kind of an interesting spot right now because this is all Age of Sigmar time because we've got mm -hmm. the new edition of Age of Sigmar coming out, which, by the way, Games Workshop did send us a box set of Dominion because they're sending that to everyone to preview <laughs> because they're excited about it. So nice. I've had actually a chance to look through the rulebook and as somebody who wants to get into Age of Sigmar, I, I'm definitely interested. I'm especially interested in seeing the... Uh, similarities between uh, the new version of Age of Sigmar and what we saw with 9th edition 40k because we saw 40k has had a lot of Age of Sigmar type ideas brought into it with like 8th edition and 9th edition and now we're seeing it swinging the other way where Age of Sigmar is now getting things that we saw in 9th edition like the smaller board sizes for example are being brought mm -hmm. in so but we are not a 
Age of Sigmar podcast, but we are going to be talking about something that's in the Age of Sigmar rulebook that's had a little bit of buzz online. Uh, but if you're not in Age of Sigmar circles, you may not be aware of it. So I felt it was interesting enough and cross-sectional enough, intersectional, to to discuss. Uh, but before that, otherwise, like I said, news, new releases, not a lot of news release-wise, because again, all Age of Sigmar and all you know, sales for the D- Dominion set and all the launch stuff. Although apparently they, they got it right this time. They did not screw up the way they did with Indomitus because apparently they didn't sell out the uh, first day because they put in things like queues and hard limits on how much you could mm-hmm. buy and cut down on store allocations so that stores, you know, so that you didn't have people posing as stores to buy all the stuff. So there's going to be plenty of boxes left over for people who want to uh, double up on this later or something. Good. Uh, but we did want to talk about news that has come up because the uh, return of Games Workshop to stateside events, uh, specifically with the three uh, like Warhammer Opens that they're running later this year, which, Dennis, you I understand you have your ticket for one of them now. Yes, I was able to get in there and get a ticket for the Austin event, so I'll be heading down to Austin the weekend before Thanksgiving to go there. I haven't checked today, but I know the Austin event like sold out pretty quick. Well, in a few hours, the other two looked like they, they had more spaces throughout the week. And I didn't check today to see how they were, but I'm assuming they're all probably sold out by now. Right. But with this being a games workshop event, uh, we saw the official event packet released and there's two things that kind of came up. One of them was, you know, some of it is, based on the event packet, and some of it is based off discussion that I guess that spawned off, which then brought in the a document about the requirements for and limitations of playing at Warhammer World, and we're going to see how this all intersects. So, this all has to do with converted models and customized models and what you are allowed to bring to these events. So, we're going to look first at the event packet for the uh, Grand Tournament series, and specifically Section 2.3, Converted and Forge World Models and Units. Um, so looking at this, this strike, for the most part, this strikes me as the kind of restrictions that any large tournament has put in. Talking about how, like, if you, you know, scr- scratch-built models, converted models are a classic GW, you know, Warhammer thing, they're not a big deal, but you shouldn't convert you know don't model for bet you know for advantage which like you can make a model you can model for disadvantage you can make a model taller than it would be but you can't make it Mm -hmm. smaller things like that this is all standard stuff i mean when we were running midwest conquest we had the same requirements of yeah don't model for advantage if you want to scratch build something make sure it's close to the original um they request uh permission you know, like, see, get permission for any customized models, which, again, standard. I don't think there's a big deal. Um, they give you the dates that they have to be submitted by, which is two weeks before the event. And uh, just saying, like, hey, if you don't get official permission, they could get pulled during the event and you'd be penalized for it. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Yeah, pretty standard. Uh, this includes, they continue, this includes conversions and alternatives to represent factions or models no longer represented in the current model range. 
Uh, don't worry, we fully appreciate spectacular modeling skills, but we just want to make sure everything is clear for your opponent so no confusion can arise during games. WYSIWYG. You know, that's totally fine. Uh, this one is interesting. Please note any Forge World models must be the actual models and not conversions to look like Forge World models. And on the one hand, I think this was kind of put in to squash the kind of th- shenanigans we saw at LVO a couple of years ago with all the venerable chaplain dreads that were not venerable nor chaplain dreads. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because they put, I think that it's kind of a reaction to that, but I think they've also done a good job of cleaning a lot of that up and removing stuff to legends that doesn't have models currently. So, but it is good clarification to have. Well, but I'm also thinking about like things like, remember how many Chaos Deradeo dreads that people were running for a while and how we'd get conversion, like, mm-hmm. you know, letters for conversion approval. Like, is this close enough to a Deradeo? And we'd actually have to do like size comparisons, and, like figure out this needs to be built up on a taller base or, you know, has to have bigger guns or something like that. Uh, so they're just basically getting that all the window. It's like, yeah, if you want to use Forge World stuff, use the Forge World model. Yeah. Which, again, their tournament, they're allowed to say that. Like, that's their requirement. You know, if that's Absolutely. their requirement, that's their yeah. requirement. Now, this one, I've seen some people complain about this one or do offhanded snide comments like, well, at our event, you can do what you can paint. However, they said, if you are using rules for your army that are different from the color scheme in which they are painted, you must have that army approved by submitting it to, you know, their list submission email address. And if you are going to have multiple different sub-factions within the same army, and if any of them are different from the official color scheme, they have to be approved. So, colored color choices. This is actually something that I've seen at GW events and even rule uh, discussed sometimes in, like, I want to say sometimes the rule books, like, especially for, like, Age of Sigmar, you know, they have sub-factions in that game as well, and I've seen... Mm-hmm. You know, rules that say like, oh, yeah, if you're going to use, like, for example, if you're going to run your Stormcast Eternals as Hammers of Sigmar, they have to be in the gold and blue Hammers of Sigmar colors. And that's, you know, a rule that you can put in place for an event. And again, this is one of those things where it's Games Workshop's event. Uh, if they want, but they do give you an out. They say, hey, if you want to do something different, that's fine. Just get it approved. So if you well, want to do like a successor chapter Dark Angels or something like that that isn't in green, that's fine. Just get it approved, you know? Well, and to yeah. be fair, like my sister's army I'm building and I'll probably take, I'm making it like a bone white with gold and purple. This is the, pretty much the three colors. That's none of the main factions of sisters. So I'm still debating if I'm going to just make custom or I'll use the other out that they gave because Sisters is one of the newer codexes of, hey, I'll be a, well, air quote, successor chapter. Thus, I mm-hmm. get the rules for that, but I don't, ha- I don't have to say I'm Bloody Rose. Right. You can say I, I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm a, a minor order that just happens to play like Bloody Rose. And that's exactly. perfectly legal. Yeah. And I think that's one of the nice things about the way they're designing these codexes is that for the most part, you will always have that option where it's like, yeah, I had this cool custom scheme that I used for my ultramarines or bloody rose, whatever. And it's like, yeah, you can just, there are rules where you can just do it this way and it's a successor chapter. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with this. This seems reasonable because they want to show off the rules of their game. Like I, this makes sense. Yeah. 
So I, I, I'm fine with that. And I also do like the idea if you've got multiple sub factions within a single army that are going to have different color schemes, uh, mm-hmm. make, get that approved so that it, again, it's clear to your opponent. Well, I like the but idea of having them just have different colors because then the, your opponent can actually see what's what. Mm-hmm. Right. And, For sure. and again, all of this is, this is not a, a flat ban. This is just, Hey, if you're going to do this, get it approved. That's, you know, no, I, I honestly see no harm, no foul. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, that, that is totally fine. Now, where this then kind of went awry as far as, uh, arguments online is that. Is it's an argument online? Well, that, that is, yes, that is the biggest problem right there. Uh, so. People started, I think, along with this, around the same time, uh, you know, it was announced that they were going to open up Warhammer World again for events. And so, War, you know, people started going to the, like, the Warhammer World requirements for events. Like, like what are the rules for, for running, for using models at Warhammer World? And they put out a document which... Looking at the date of the upload, I actually have it open because I opened the link. It's uh, it was uploaded on October fifteenth, twenty nineteen. There you go. So this is this is an older this this has been in place for a couple of years uh, now. Whether it's been a revised since then, don't know. But this is the document that's linked. So here are the requirements for event for for Warhammer World. Again, this is specifically for events. At their headquarters in Nottingham. First off, it's like very basic. Each model must be Citadel or Forge World min- miniatures. It must be fully assembled. Must be painted to battles- battle-ready standard. Uh, must accurately resent- represent its entry on your wi- army roster, a.k.a. WYSIWYG. Conversions must be checked in advance with the events team to make sure they're appropriate. Again, nothing un- non-standard here. Every th- all miniatures in your collection must be Citadel or Forge World miniatures. This is when we get into those old rules for events at Games Workshop stores. Third-party miniatures are not permitted at the home of Warhammer. Again, this is at their headquarters. <laughs> that right. being said, mm-hmm. if you're c- getting creative uh, with conversions, then generic parts such as plastic card, wire, and brass rod are fine to use. But any cast miniature parts specifically designed by for models must be produced by Citadel or Forge World. Note that this refers to the actual miniatures in your collection. They do not require these requirements do not apply to bases of your models. I could use my sisters again. I could use my third party based sisters because the models are all GW. The bases aren't. They've changed. You know, that is a, a revision since the last time I saw rules based on this. Mm hmm. And then they, you know, basic stuff. Everything has to be fully assembled. Everything has to be painted to a minimum battle-ready standard. Everything must be WYSIWYG. If you have painted your models in a specific way, we expect you to use the rules relevant to that scheme. And, yeah, so here's where it says, if you've painted your models as salamanders, your army must have the salamanders keyword. If you've painted your models as hammers of Sigmar, they must use the relevant command trait, artifact of power, etc. Again, at Warhammer World, Right. For the open events in the U.S., they've said, you can do this. You just have, you can do it. You just have to get approval. That there's right. a difference between here, not allowed, open events allowed with permission. And then, uh, conversions should be checked in advance with the events team. 
yeah, again, pretty standard. And then finally, frequently asked questions. And this is the part that has people foaming at the mouth, I swear. And I also know some of the people who have been bringing this up may also be people who are kind of salty that their events happen to coincide with Warhammer Open events, just saying. Nah, that, um, can't, that can't have anything to do with it. It can't possibly happen. Coincidence. coincidence. <laughs> are 3D printed parts I've designed allowed? And the answer is, much like hand sculpted detail, if you've gone to the effort of designing and printing your own bespoke parts for your army, then these parts are indeed permitted at our events. Commercially available third-party 3D printed parts aren't permitted, though. Please bear in mind that if we do spot, cast, or printed parts on miniatures at our events, we will ask you to prove where they're from and may ask them to be removed if there's any doubt as to their origins. People read that and over the last week or so have lost their minds. Right. Now, so one of the ethos that we always talk about when we talk about events, when we talk about rules questions, all these things is... The TO is always right. Like, it's their event. They get to determine what rules you use. And, like, GW, at their headquarters, for their events that they're showing off in public that are going to go on their website for pictures, they want you to use GW products. I am completely fine with that. Like, it's... I, I do not see what the issue is. Well, and I think the, the issue for a lot of people, and, and we've, t- we talked about this a lot during uh, a couple of, you know, a couple of the listener mail set segments we've done in recent times is that whole idea is like, what's okay? Is it okay to 3D print models? Is it okay? To, and we, we definitely fell on these conversion bits are totally fine. Like mm-hmm. conversion bits are in general are, are not piracy in any, any way, shape or form. Yeah. But. I would like to say that for this, uh, and they do not have that 3D printed restriction at the Warhammer open events. This is again right. specifically for events at Warhammer World. And the restrictions they have on 3D printed bits is the same re- restrictions they have on any third party bits to be used at Warhammer World. So again, I don't see the issue. Right. Yeah. So like you can't use recasts or, you know, even stuff you buy off of like Shapeways that's third party. You can't use those either. Like it's it's logically consistent to me that they're going to want to have GW models at a GW event. And and that even goes down to like, as I said earlier, like displaying the rules and the models. If you have an army that shows up to an event at Warhammer World and you're and it's painted as salamanders, they want you to use the salamanders rules because they want to show off that the rules and the factions matter. So look at this awesome salamanders army. When we take a picture of it and load it to the website, like here's a game shot of it. If the salamanders army is using like white scars rules and white scars tactics, then it doesn't like, it doesn't make sense. Like it's, it's a marketing tool for the company. So I'm, I'm completely okay with all of this. (laughs) I'm also never, probably never going to go to the Warhammer world. So like, it doesn't right. really matter. I mean, me, it, the, the amount, the number, the subset of players that this would actually affect is very, very small. Oh, yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, like the amount of people that are, that are impacted by this is very small. Like I know certain stores and I, I personally don't go back to them that are like that basically say you can't play with models you didn't buy in the store. And like that's their prerogative. Like they want you to buy models in the store and play in their events with models you bought from them. That's fine. I don't do that because I buy from a lot of different places. But like any any store, any event can set up their own their own rules. Like that's that's on them if they want to use those rules or not. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've seen a number of, of 40K events since this became a newsworthy thing say like, yeah, at our events, you can paint things however you want. And, you know, you can use 3D printed bits. It's like, okay, yeah. Did you ever say otherwise? No, then it's fine. It's your event. Run it how you want. Uh, and, and people are acting like this is some like grand statement from Games Workshop coming down as thou shalt not use 3D printed pieces. And it's like, no, no, that, that's not what they're saying at all. Also, Games yeah. Workshop can't change what you do in a store <laughs> or in your house or, you know, at your club or whatever. Now, if you're running something at a Warhammer store that's GW property, they can put what restrictions they want in place because it's their space yeah. and their event. But yeah, yeah for absolutely. Like, the rest of it, the rest of the time, no, it doesn't matter. You like what their opinion is of how they run events at their particular, at their headquarters. That's them. Yeah. And that's their right like, to do it. I do understand why some people are, are kind of nervous about it because I can see, I can see a world where, GW is more involved in the tournament scene than they are right now, and what they set for their events becomes precedent for all of the other events, but we don't live in that world. Like, the ITC and local events and all these things have much more control and independence from what GW wants with how we run competitive 40k, so I just don't see it being an issue. Like, I, I don't I don't expect that LVO is going to adopt the Warhammer world model recommend requirements for their event because why would they i just i just don't see it being an issue but to that you know but mentioning lvo they did put in a limited subset of rules that said hey if you're going to have your army on stream you have to have an army painted up to a certain standard mm -hmm. it can't just be like three color it has to be like bet like at least battle ready, ready and preferably better than that. You know, so it's like even local events, even independent events still put in requirements for certain things because especially like a large event like LVO where Games Workshop has a presence, they don't want to, you know, like Games Workshop has no interest in having their game look, look cheap and bad. And that's what happened like the first time they had the big stream there and there were armies that were, Definitely made of motley collections of, of models that had been borrowed from people to make a list. So it's like, yeah, that doesn't look good. It doesn't make the game look good. And that's what, like you said, it's marketing for Games Workshop. Yeah, like absolutely. Twitch streams and things that are going to bring in, bring in eyes that might not normally be miniatures players. Yeah, they want stuff to look good and they want to present the game as they produce it. To the world. Now, that said, they love sharing really cool conversions on, like, you'll see converted armies and stuff on Warhammer Community. They love that mm -hmm. stuff. But they want some, they want to know that the person who did the conversions is the person who, like, who owns the army and presented it. Because again, yeah. they want to, they want to show the, the part of the hobby where somebody's creating stuff on their own to add to miniatures rather than just buying some third party parts off the shelf and i imagine there's still some legal gray zone nastiness you know based on like old uh chap like the the old chapter mm -hmm. house lawsuits and things like that so it's probably one of these touchy subjects where they're keeping us somewhat i don't i don't want to say completely hands off because i've heard of cases in, in past months where 
online shops have gotten takedown requests mm-hmm. because certain pieces are too close to, to GW trademarks. And yeah, that's a thing that's going to happen because they're going to protect their IP. But that's a that's a larger issue with the 3D printing community in general. Like I use Thingiverse, which is a free share site, uh, and everything on there is you know non-commercial. So there's a lot of stuff on there for cosplay, for props, for you know models and things like that. 40k, Star Wars, Marvel, etc. And like yeah, if if they if Disney or Lucasfilm or whatever saw that like somebody was selling these in a commercial capacity, they'd absolutely pull it down. So like uh, that's that's a legal gray area across the entire 3D printing world right now because our copyright laws and our 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 IP laws for this stuff never considered 3D printing. So, you know, do you own do you own the files? Do you own the likeness? Like uh, that's all a gray area and eventually it'll be litigated in courts and we'll figure it out, but like GW isn't alone in doing this. There's Every other company that produces miniatures or other things that can be 3D printed is also going through this same exact gray area right now. Right. You know, yes, it's going to be kind of a weird gray zone for a while, but this is not, this should not be taken as Games Workshop, like, is banning all 3D printed bits and and models from all events ever. That's not the case. And game, as we talked about last episode, Games Workshop, I don't think they don't have the manpower and thus probably not the interest in trying to police how everyone plays their game. Now, would they love everyone to be using all Games Workshop parts? Yeah, absolutely, because they're a business and they want to sell models. But they, they also know that if they, I think they know if they stamp down too hard, it looks bad. Right. But they will they will exert control where they can, which is at the events that they that they are running and they choose. And I would say even with the uh, the open events this fall, they're still taking a relatively light hand by comparison where they're just saying, yeah, "Yeah, just just have everything passed by us. And if they have any questions about like, oh, yeah, those look 3D printed. Can did you do them or like where did you get the bits or something like that? It's like, yeah, they'll they'll probably ask those questions and be prepared to answer if you are presenting an, an army for these events. But again, we're talking about three events where, again, they haven't stated that they're straight up banned. They haven't made any announcements that they're banned anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and of course, like, especially with Warhammer World, like the events of Warhammer World, those are the ones where they're most likely to take photos of armies and show them mm-hmm. on the Warhammer community site or put picture like in past rule book, like core rule books, they'll have pictures from Warhammer World of a bunch of, you know, people playing at, mm-hmm. you know, events there and you'll see armies on tables and such. Yeah, they're going to want those to feature the models for the game there's there you're reading the rule book for i don't yeah i i but i think there's people are because as you said richard it's an argument on the internet and that was the first problem (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like people were ready to go for the hyperbole and go for the the worst case scenario right off the bat well i i will say this as well if gw decided to foolishly like press their press the issue and clamp down on this and like decide to ban 3d printing from all 40k games they would uh publicize that decision 
they wouldn't release it in a PDF on their website for their home store. Like that would be a front and center article on on the community site. That would be in an email. Like they would be putting out videos about it. Like it's this is not how they would do it. <laughs> like I it yeah. <laughs> what I would be more likely what I would imagine is even more likely to happen is eventually Games Workshop opening up their own STL shop. <laughs> yep. I think they would yeah. be more likely to sell their own CAD designs for bits than they would to stamp down on all events ever, especially because they don't run any of the, like they run a few events. They don't run the event circuits. Also, let us not forget that the competitive events and the event, like we already determined Warhammer world events, very, very small niche because it's just people who are going to Nottingham, like the Warhammer open events. You're talking 256 players per event for the Warhammer 40 K events. Uh, there may be overlap for people who try to attend multiples, but let's say, let, let's just say it's 256 all around. You're talking 750 plus people out of how many tens of thousands play Warhammer. And most people who play Warhammer do not play at tournaments. They don't play at any sort of organized event. So even if Games Workshop did put in a ban somehow that would ban printed bits at all organized play events, which they, assuming a world where they run all organized play events, which they don't and they won't, this would still not affect 90% of of players. 90% of people would just still continue doing what they're doing. And if that means designing their own bits and printing them or buying them off of Shapeways or buying STL files from somebody and printing themselves or not doing any of those things because they'd rather kit bash out of existing bits or not. Like it's not going to change anything. Like for most people, it wouldn't affect anything. So it's a lot of to do about nothing. I really do think so. Yeah. I mean it. And maybe it's because everybody's kind of waiting for good guy GW to, to, reveal the man behind the curtain was bad guy gw the whole time i think we're you know we're all kind of not we necessarily but i think there's a lot of people in the warhammer fan community that have been burned enough times or are cynical enough to just assume the worst immediately and it's like yeah but let's wait till there's actually evidence of it and this is not that this is absolutely not evidence of the worst happening so if you like 3d printed bits i mean hell let it was just like an episode or so ago that we were saying, Hey, there's great 3d printed bits for doing a Karcharadon's army. Mm-hmm. I still stand by that. I'd be like, yeah, go ahead. If you like those bits, go ahead and use them because they're your models. Once you, once you've bought them, GW has no say over what you do with them. Well, so, unless you go to a GW store to play games, which then if they're inviting you into your, into their house to let you play games, you have to follow their rules. Like, at, yeah, like, yeah, it's, I, like it's, it's completely reasonable. <laughs> Right. It's like it's it's only a little bit different from the rule that says you have to be playing with painted models. But they also don't say you have to be painted. Paint my models. Yes, Dennis. I'm sorry. You will have to preferably more than prime. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, there you know, yes, there are rules that, yeah, the army has to be battle ready, but nobody said it has to be painted with Citadel paints because, again, how would you tell? (laughs) Right. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So don't don't have a freak out over this. This is this is just 
it's standard for Warhammer World events, but it's not even like standard company policy. Like the closest thing, they do have an intellectual property policy on the Games Workshop website. And they do talk about uh, like under their like non-commercial recasting and 3D printing. Do not cast or scan any materials based on our IP. Reproduction for personal use is not an automatic exemption from copyright protection in many territories. So again, they're just saying don't copy our bits. Right. And don't likewise don't produce and distribute designs which substantially copy Games Workshop's products. But that's what they're telling to the 3D printing companies. No, and I think that's completely reasonable because, you know, if somebody, you know, yeah, if somebody was, you know, had had the ability to like re, you know, cast and, and stuff, things like that, like they don't want them, like they don't want, you know, China cast and stuff like that, like people recasting Forge World resins, stuff like that. So like, it it makes sense. Like it's protecting their business. I, I, I get it. Yeah. So yeah, just, you know, just don't, don't try to, don't try to steal don't their believe- designs. I mean, that's. Yeah. And don't believe the internet hype because usually it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, like, if you like a particular shoulder pad, don't be afraid to use it, you know? So just just be chill about it, okay? <laughs> I mean, everybody needs to just chill out a bit. And so from that, we're going to transition over to our main topic, which is something that's in the Age of Sigmar rulebook. Uh, so this is in the Age of Sigmar 3.0 rulebook, which fortunately I have a beautiful, uh, hardbound copy here. Uh, but they have made it available for download. Although to download it, you have to, uh, sign up for their newsletter. You know, basically do receive emails about Age of Sigmar, but we're going to save you the trouble of having to do that for this particular page because what I'm, what we're going to be reading and discussing is not anything that is specific to Age of Sigmar. It is something that covers basically anybody for any war game period, but especially for like the Warhammer uh, you know events. But I think this this could apply to any 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 tabletop war game player. Yep. And so this is in the introduction of the rules, and this is in the like I said the downloadable version. And uh, they have the Warhammer Age of Sigmar players code. Um, there's a famous adage that goes, it matters not if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. We believe that Warhammer Age of Sigmar is a game best played in this spirit, and to help with this, we've put together a set of guidelines that we call the Player's Code, which you can see opposite. The cardinal rules of the Player's Code are all you really need to follow, as the principles that come below them are really just examples of the cardinal rules in practice. If you follow the Player's Code, you'll find yourself having more fun, and what's more, you'll be playing Warhammer Age of Sigmar as it's meant to be played, as an enjoyable pastime played in a spirit of friendly rivalry (laughs) you need to try it again with a with a with a really bad cockney accent no no i'm not going to do that i'm not going to dick van dyke my way through this (sighs) fine no sorry nor will i lin manuel miranda my way through this if we're doing mary poppins returns so no (laughs) all right (laughs) and so the player's code and a lot, there are basically two cardinal rules and then 14 principles. And as they said, the 14 principles are something that should just kind of flow naturally. But I think it's still worth discussing and, uh, and kind of going through these one by one, especially if you are newer to the hobby and you are not familiar with, uh, like kind of the, the general etiquette. Cause that's basically what this is, is a guide to etiquette. 
And so the player's code, the two cardinal rules are one, always be polite and respectful. And I'm sad that that has to be put down as a, as a cardinal rule of the game. That mm-hmm. should just go without saying, but we've seen enough, I've seen enough people at Warhammer 40k events behave in such a way as, uh, to know that that's not always something that people seem to know right off the bat. Yeah. And then the second cardinal rule, always tell the truth and never cheat. And again, this is a thing that people have to be reminded of because at events that we have attended, we have seen this kind of thing go down. So, yeah. And so let's get on to the individual principles and kind of of, uh, talk through them and why either why they're just a generally good idea or, or maybe even get into the specifics about it. First principle. Arrive on time with all the things you need to play the game. Now, who among us has forgotten something? Do you mean like an army? I've never Never forgotten anything. Nope. Yeah, no. Never. Nope. Never made a mistake. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this This is one of those things like... Failing to do this does not make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a dick to to forget this. But it is something that really makes life easier for everyone if you do. Yeah. And the things you need to play the game. Obviously, you need your army. Unless you're Dennis and they have a ringer army available. Uh, <laughs> hey, what about Jason? Or, or Jason. Yeah, or, or Jason, Jason who who uh, who who filled in with uh, to to be a. You know, to to be a ringer player and a and a part time judge for that year. So yes, b- b- besides an army, um, it's also good to you know just make sure you have dice, a tape measure, mm-hmm. and then beyond that, w- look to see what an event requires. For example, uh, a copy of your list, yep. like that's generally a good thing to have. What about nine Usually. copies? Yeah, multiple copies are even better. Uh, now, with the addition of digital tools like Best Coast Pairings, um, a lot of that can be digitized. But keep in mind, even today, not all players, even at a large event, will have Best Coast Pairings available. They may not have yep. it installed on their phone. Uh, they may ha- Their phone may be out of charge. So having extra copies of your list printed out is always a good thing to have. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the full list with all the rules printed out. It can just be the list of like points, upgrade, like units, upgrades, point values, etc. And that's generally good enough for your opponent to look at and say, okay, so that's what you've got. That's what each of these things has. Have a copy of your rules available as well. Uh, you will want to reference things. Your opponent may have questions about what your particular units do, and it's good to be able to have uh, the book available so you can just read it directly to them or be able to present it uh, for uh, if there's a rules question. And in fact, uh, just this week, the ITC released their 2021 code of conduct, like the updated code of conduct that covers like what you what should be expected at all ITC or all, all events that will be eligible for ITC points. And one of the things they have is for judging. They're like, yeah, you need to have a copy of your rules, either in paper or digital format. And, and it has to be the official copy, not like something printed off of Babel scribe. If you do not, you will automatically lose all rules discussions. Like if you have a question about the rules mm-hmm. and you cannot provide, 
provide a copy of the rules that you are in, that are in question, you lose. It's not going to go your way. So have a copy of have you have your codex available, have your list available, have all the materials you need to play. And then it's also a good idea to have like objective markers and such. A lot of events do provide those now, but if you're playing a pickup game or just with friends or something, just have the, have those available just because everything's objective based now. So you're going to have have a set of 6 available and you'll be good. But have all those things because nothing can sideline a game faster than you fumbling around and realizing you don't have something you need. Whether it's like you forgot a model, whether you forgot, oh, I don't have a tape measure. Oh, I, I forgot to bring dice. No, uh, I forgot my rule book, but trust me, this is what the rule says. Yeah, just bring all the stuff you need to play. Uh, second, make a respectful gesture to your uh, to your opponent before and after the game, such as offering a handshake. Yee, yee, yee. I'm just going to wince on that one right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wishing them good luck, etc. Wish them good luck. Offer them a, a fist bump. I'm still not... I'm still not good on handshakes yet. <laughs> I, I did do one handshake at the end of my last game at Mid- at Mind Games and Magic a couple of weeks ago, and I still feel weird about it. Well, so I mean, it, if you're worried about the handshakes, you could also just offer to buy them a shot, you know, which will kill all the germs. And it, that goes double if they're underage. So, you know. <laughs> ah, yes. Illegal. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Allegedly in Minecraft. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. But, you know, just I it is just considered good form to wish your opponent good luck at the beginning of the game. Yeah. You know, just, just Yeah, you're both there to have fun. Exactly. Avoid using language your opponent might find offensive. Uh this one can be a little bit in the the eyes of the beholder and can be sure. you know, depends on the audience. Like, I would use different language playing with you guys than I would at a tournament necessarily. Than I would at a tournament if I was playing a younger player. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so no, that's, that's yeah. it. Yeah, this just falls under, again, general respect. You know, know, read the room, know your audience. And if you do say something that seems to put somebody off, you know, try to be aware of that and apologize. Don't intentionally try to put them off either right. you know don't you know and they, they do say avoid using and avoid av- avoiding something is not something you'll always do successfully sometimes you'll mess up and that's fine it happens just be respectful and if if it seems like yeah just don't intentionally antagonize somebody and be willing to apologize if you took something too far yeah exactly okay this next one has upset a few people i think and i i get why but I also don't think it again, this is kind of like the 3D printing thing. You shouldn't really worry about too much. Ask your opponent's permission if you wish to use unpainted models or substitute models. Now, the latter one on that, there should be no question about that. If you're going to use yeah. a proxy, you should always like, hey, is it OK if I use this to stand in for this? That mm-hmm. is that should that that just should go without saying people are complaining about the. I have to ask permission to use unpainted models. I thought this was a beer and pretzels game that we play for fun. Well, you should. It, these, yeah, these are these are all of these are rules for tournament play or for just like general etiquette. If you're playing somebody in their basement, hey, I'm working on this army. It's not fully painted. Is that cool? Yeah, it's cool. Okay, let's play. Like that's 
you probably had that conversation during the setup of the game or like in the process of getting a game set up anyway. It's fine. Like this is a normal, things are normal things that people usually talk about. They're just codifying it and like, hey, these unwritten rules that we do anyway, let's write them down. Well, I'll right. toss this out. The RTT that I, is coming up in Dallas, like one of the local game stores. Next month, I talked to the guy who's running it. He says, yeah, we allow unpainted models because we want people to just try out things. And I'm like, cool. So yeah. there was the air quote permission. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that was it. You did it. <laughs> you did the thing. And also, it's not like, you, you know, there are people like, well, I thought this was a beer and pretzel game. Well, also remember that different people enjoy this game differently. I know there are like players who are big into narrative games who want the spectacle and the presentation of like custom boards and yeah. big battles that do not want to play against an unpainted army. Absolutely. Yeah. And will go out of their way to do things like, hey, let's do an escalation league or like an escalation campaign so that we can get these armies built up slowly and always play with fully painted stuff. Because that's yeah. what they want out of the game. They want the spectacle of having fully painted armies going at it. And so that's a situation where, yeah, you really should ask permission if you want to use something unpainted and be ready for them to say no. And that doesn't mean that they're being dicks or anything. It's just like, that's how they want to play the game. So just have that conversation. It's really just, yeah, have the conversation beforehand of, is is it cool if I try this out? And a lot of times, again, if you're playing with friends, you've already established ahead of time, like, the 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 ground rules of yeah i'm just going to bring bring something i just built cuz i want to try it out or you know like you, we've done this before it's not a big deal or like i'm prepping for a tournament and i'm in the middle of painting this stuff but i want to get in some games so i'm good with it yeah every, like the permission's going to be built into that because the person you're playing yeah. with is going to be fine with it but it doesn't mean again the games workshop is banning you from using unpainted models they're just saying hey check with your opponent make sure it's cool with them because it might not be and that's okay too yeah. Offer your opponent a chance to examine your army roster before the battle starts. Uh, a lot of events do have time for this built in. Like they'll have like a 15 minute window between rounds or something. Like, like we've done mm -hmm. pairings. We're going to start the timer at this. Like we're going to start the round at this time. So use this time to like, like look at your opponent's list and. Uh, yeah, and, you know, ask any questions. And also, as we've mm -hmm. talked about recently, this is not a game that lends itself well to hidden information. Right. And like this, this just streamlines the game and speeds up the game. Because if you take five minutes to read over someone's list and ask the questions, hey, what does, you know, what does this canonist's piece of weaponry do? What does this uh, banner guy do? What, you know, what is this psychic power that you're taking? And you ask it ahead of time then you're not going to get stuck in the position in game where you're like, Oh, I didn't know it could do that. Or, Oh, I would have done, I would have done this differently if I didn't, you know, if I'd known that, like it, it just simplifies everything. Yeah. Also with the way 40 K is now where secondaries are a big part of scoring, knowing what your opponent, what units your opponent has and like their entire army composition may change what you take as far as, uh, as your secondary. So for example, if some, somebody is running a bunch of characters, you kind of want to know that so that you know, like, Hey, assassination is actually a really good secondary to take against this army. Cause I could max it out. Uh, or like, Oh, you've got lots of vehicles. I'm going to take something where I like take down large vehicles or monsters. Uh, 
those are things that you need to see your opponent's list to, to make those decisions. And so, yes, both players should be willing to show each other their lists so that you're not going in completely cold to the game and trying to deploy and play against an unknown as as interesting as that might be in a real world situation, it doesn't necessarily make for a good game. And it also kind of evens the field because you may be able to look at your opponent's army and immediately know, okay, there's that, 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 and that. You cannot assume that they know the same about yours. So always be willing to show that. And this goes into the next point kind of with this. Answer any questions your opponent has about your army and the rules that apply to your army. Games are better when players can make informed decisions about their strategy and tactics. For sure. I, for one, do not want to be the person who wins because I didn't tell my opponent what something could do. Now, that doesn't mean I have to read my entire codex out loud to my opponent. And I think we've had a question about this one in the past, too. I don't have to tell them everything my army does, but I should be open to answering any and all questions they have about it. Yeah. But often I will tell my, like, I will tell my opponents, like, Okay, like this guy over here, he's got this piece of war gear that lets him do this. So you may want to be aware of that. It's like, like I want my opponents to know. Also, that means if I, if it comes up in the middle of the game for the first time, they don't feel like I just sprung it on them. Even if, even if I didn't spring it on them, it, it leads to a better situation. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll usually say like, okay, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking this chapter tactic, so this this is exactly what the Ultramarines chapter tactics do. Or I'm taking this psychic power on on this librarian, so this is exactly what it does. Just so they're aware of it. Like, yeah, like it it just makes it easier. It's going to cut down on questions during the game as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next one: measure moves and distances carefully and accurately. This one has gotten people into trouble at uh, some events and 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 this one and the the next one i kind of view these two kind of similar like i have i have gotten myself into trouble with these not because like i've been measuring inaccurately or you know not letting my opponent look at my dice but like i have a tape measure you know so if you're at a game and you're you're in the middle of doing this like i'll measure something and then you know not thinking i'll just snap the tape measure back quickly and like giving your opponent a chance to like actually see what you're measuring, make sure it works. Like that's a, that's a thing that I've had to like consciously like make the effort of like, Oh no, I need to make sure that I tell them like, okay, I'm measuring this. It's 12 inches and this is 11. So it's good here. Do you want to check? You know, that type of stuff, just so that you're not, you're not, your opponent doesn't feel like you're trying to get one over on them. And then obviously like you shouldn't be trying to get one over, you know, at at any point, but uh, it's, it's one that I've had to personally like, make sure that I take the time like that extra that extra beat to just make it available to my opponent to like confirm and make sure so that they don't think I'm trying to cheat or get one over on them or anything. Yeah. And I am glad that I, I know it was a big deal when it was first added to the game, but I'm really glad that uh, games workshops games all allow for pre-measuring now for sure. Because I know like there were people who, who treated that as like, Oh no, that's just a skill you should have. Yeah, I was I was awful at that. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, ev- ev- like the entirety of fifth edition playing the game. T- still at the end of fifth edition, I was I was actually pretty terrible at you know discerning the difference between thirteen inches and eleven inches, which is a big difference. 
It is. It is absolutely a big difference. Oh, I'm. I don't. There's so many things I could be saying right now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> phrasing? Are just, are we not doing just, phrasing anymore? We are yeah. not doing phrasing. <laughs> just all right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like I said, yeah, it having the ability to pre-measure. Also, you know, it, it helps eliminate a lot of those arguments. It helps eliminate bad decision making. And as long as you're making sure that you're, you're careful, you're accurate, you're not inadvertently nudging models off, you know, off time or moving yeah. something from the back of the base to the front of the base or front of the base to the back of the base. That's, that's a thing that people have done. Um, like the people have been caught on stream doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's a, it's a problem, even at high levels of play. It's a problem. So, oh, especially at high levels of play, because you're trying to get whatever edge you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and trying to like try to sneak things past your opponent, and that is that is not kosher. That should not be done, and that's one of the reasons why this is in here. It, I mean, it's a it's a good guideline to follow anyway, but it's actually been a particularly pernicious issue, as has the next one. Uh, give your opponent the chance to examine your dice rolls before picking up the dice. And and as I uh, said, this is one where I've struggled with at times because let's say like I have a you know, a block of corn berserkers and I make my charge and I go in to roll my you know eighteen billion attacks and I'll roll it and I roll all ones and twos. I will get frustrated and pick my dice up really quickly and be like, well, screw it. You know that sucks. And like I need to make sure to, again to take that extra beat to be like, hey, here's the rolls. Any questions? Okay, we're good. Okay, you know, like before I move on, like there are times where I will just pick the dice up out of out of frustration or trying to speed things up, and like I need to, I I have to remind myself to take that extra beat to allow my opponent to look at it. Right, and and I would like to again, you know, I, I talked about the uh, the new ITC code of conduct. What one of the very like the very first bullet point under the the game state, like how the, how the game state should be treated. Players must announce their intent when rolling a die or dice and apply the outcome. Their opponent is responsible for listening. Any dice rolled without in- announced intent may be ruled as void by a present judge, and the player must re-roll it. So if you just roll dice for no reason, you don't get to save them for later. And so that's kind of a thing they have, you know, they have to announce. And so it's like, yeah, it's like don't roll before the saves like before you have to do saves or wound rolls or such it's like oh you know that that that's what these are for so this kind of goes along with this at well as well unless you're playing sisters and that's one of your army rolls but yeah <laughs> well even then though no, I, well, but, but yeah even yeah, then it's like oh that. this is a miracle die i'm going to roll a miracle die now sure no so I, there's I, yeah. intent <laughs> no i agreed i was just joking <laughs> And also things like players should be able to read the dice, like players found to be using dice inconsistent with the guidelines of having six sides in a standard box box shape, get a red card. So have fun. So I can't use my D10s? I, I would rather you not. To, to count wounds. I mean, it, I mean, to be honest with you, me rolling D10s only makes me marginally more effective at dice rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still roll a lot of ones and twos on a D10. <laughs> yeah. but I'll, And then also in the game state, dice that don't land on the playing surface, such as dice that land on the floor, don't count, must be rolled again. Players must roll dice in view of their opponent. Consistently rolling dice in a manipulating manner or out of sight of the opponent have committed a foul and will be issued a yellow or red card and an appropriate penalty at the judge's discretion. And yes, a player was banned from the ITC this year 
for this kind of shenaniganery. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is one of those things like, I'm sorry that they have to put this in the, uh, in as part of the player's code, but it's been a problem. So it need, you know, it's something we need to address and just something to reiterate. It's like, yeah, let, when you roll the, those dice, let your opponent see what you rolled. So they know if you rolled that many ones or sixes or fives or, you know, whatever you needed. Yeah. Or, or seeing that player who, who rolls dice and then like they go and they count up their successes and pick them up. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you should do it the other way around and pick up your fails. Yeah. Remove yeah. them from the pool so that the successes are still there for everyone to see. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Cause once you, once you go and like lay hands on that die that's on the ground, that's on the table, like you could be manipulating that. It's value is at question. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just generally, generally just a good, good policy to have. And I know there's that temptation to roll quickly, especially if you're playing under a chess clock. There's that temptation, to like, we just mm-hmm. got to get through this turn. I'm just going to roll or I would, I don't want to lose. I want to have more turn time to be able to do stuff later. I'm just going to rush through. You can be doing yourself a disservice by doing that because it then makes your gameplay in question. And yeah. nothing slows down a game more than a player, another player calling over a judge because you rushed through stuff. So just, just fight that urge and just play through in a, in a visible, consistent manner. Mm-hmm. Next one. Ask permission before touching any of your opponent's miniatures. This is just good etiquette anyway. Yeah. This is one of my pet peeves. I hate when, when opponents don't ask. Like, it's like, oh, no, I, I spent all this time painting. It's a, this is a delicate forge world model. Please, I will move it. <laughs> like, or, or touch it this way. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, Kevin, and- can I, can I touch your Lord of Skulls with my D weapon? So here's the thing. The Lord of Skulls is a hunk <laughs> of plastic that is like durable. I've knocked it off tables. It is fine. I'm not worried about that one. But like the, the town art that I have. Yeah, I'll move it. It's way heavier than you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you you don't know how. Like for example, my the Mortarian I, I just finished painting during like during the first game I played with him. I realized that the glue I had used to attach his wings because I painted them separately as sub assemblies. The glue was not terribly strong and his wings started getting wobbly during the Oof. game and came off like immediately afterwards. And so like I was able to fix him with, with by using gorilla glue, which damn that holds. But uh but if somebody had touched that model during the game and had not been aware, because like as I was moving it, I could feel the wings having a little bit of give. Like I knew to move it very carefully because I can feel the wings are loose. If somebody else had done it, the wings would have popped off and like, I could have fixed it, but like it would, it could, what if it was another model where it was a, a joint that I had fixed because it had snapped halfway through the part or something. And they didn't know that. And that would be very difficult to fix. It's my model. I know I know where the weak points are. Let me take care of it. If it's okay, I will let you know. <laughs> you know, that's let me take, let me let you know when it's okay. Now, if somebody asks, Hey, that model looks really good. Can I take a look at it? 99 times out of a hundred, I'll say yes. Cause I want to show off my paint jobs, but you know, ask me first. 
and I will ask you, like, as, even if it's like at the end of the game and we're picking up miniatures and your mini, some of your miniatures are all the way across on my side of the table, I will ask you if it's okay for me to pick them up and hand them back to you because, yeah, some, you know, it, it's just good etiquette. Some people are very particular about it. Some people don't care, but it's always well, best to ask. Yeah, it, it's good etiquette. We all spend a lot more money than we care to think about <laughs> on this hobby. Like, yeah. we don't want models to get dropped. Like, I would, I would feel terrible if, like, if I was playing somebody and they had, you know, a Terminator that looked like a plastic Terminator, I accidentally dropped it and it was like a Forge one and it shattered. Like, I would feel terrible. Like, so yeah, just always ask. Yeah. Um, next one. Remind your opponent about rules they may have forgotten to use or that they may have that they have used incorrectly, especially when doing so is to your opponent's advantage rather than your own. This one can be tricky at the competitive level, especially at high end competitions. Um, yeah. And uh, this is one where I think depending on the setting, this one can be waived. And sure. Because, like, at a high-end game, like, if I'm playing in, like, the semifinals, which, yeah, like, that's going to happen. But if I'm playing <laughs> in the semifinals of a, of a large event, if my opponent forgets to use a rule, like, that could be the edge I need to do something. Whether it's my opponent, like, refusing to, like, forgetting to attack, forgetting a stratagem they had access to, forgetting to use an ability to let them re-roll a save or something like that. Now, is it dirty pool to not remind them in that setting i would say no because if you are playing at that that level if i'm playing like if somebody's playing in the you know top tables at a competitive event they should know their own army and if they have made forgotten to use a rule that is on them mm -hmm. now during the early rounds of such an event or at the lower tables or at a casual especially at a casual game with friends I will absolutely double check like, hey, don't forget to don't forget to reroll that save or don't forget like you have an invulnerable save or uh, you, did you attack with these guys over here? I will absolutely do that. That's a different well, environment. What I'd say to that, Rob, is it's reading the room is if yes. if your opponent's really in competitive mode, then, yeah, you'll probably take that as the edge. But if you're just there for as people say the, the beer and pretzels, I'm just here to have fun. Yeah, and I note I've done this at big tournaments before too, of like telling them things mm -hmm. they forgot or saying, "Hey, I'm over here if you want to shoot this guy." I didn't get him back into cover or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I think it. I I think you're right. I think it's read the room, and I think it's also like gradients. Like if somebody, if we're going in the combat phase, and we're going back and forth, and they just like forget a unit to attack with, I'll remind them, like, "Hey, by the way, you haven't attacked with this." unit of you know assault marines over here if it's something where it's like oh i know that you have a special ability a stratagem you could use at this point and you choose not to i'm not going to remind you that oh you could have used a stratagem for that like that's part that part of the so it's kind of a fine balance of like you don't want to play you don't want to play the other opponent's ar person's army but you also don't want to like you don't want to get one over in a way like ah i saw that you didn't attack with that unit and i was waiting until the end of the turn to tell you no like just again just you know, going back to the cardinal rules, like, be polite and respectful, tell the truth, and don't cheat. Like, just, yeah, just, like, be cool with it. Like, uh, in most cases, it isn't going to matter. And, you know, if it is a com highly competitive game, like, yeah, like, sometimes sometimes you miss things. You've probably missed things, too. If everybody reminds you of, like, the stuff that's going on, it's going to be a better game. So, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Right. I, I feel it's kind of a gradient thing. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like, and and I think reading the room is the right way to way to say it. It's it's looking at the situation and like, is it appropriate? You know, as you said, you don't want to play your opponent's game for them because that can also just come across as condescending. It is right. never <laughs> inappropriate to remind a player of something that they missed. So, like, even at a high end game, if your opponent forgets to do something, like you said, they have a, a unit in engagement range and they forget to attack with it, it's good to remind them of that, especially because, yeah. like, that could be the difference between which unit assaults next if we're like we're you know alternating back and forth it could actually affect my play because and and if i like technically i'm cheating if i don't remind you to attack with that unit but like you said stratagems and things like that that reminding you to spend command points is not what i have to do right so right <laughs> yeah but uh like, but yeah, I've definitely said like, oh yeah, don't forget to attack with this weapon. Don't forget to, you know, I've done that even at tournaments. And it's like, don't forget to do something that, especially if it's something you've done several times in the game and then you just have a brain fart, like your opponent has a brain fart and slips. Uh, it's fine to remind them of that. It's never, it's never bad to make sure that your opponent does all their things, but there are environments and situations where it's okay if you don't. Yeah, but in general, it's always a good thing to do it. Um, next one, uh, never deliberately waste time during a game. Ah, the curse of slow play and why we have chess clocks in the first place. <laughs> I'm still not a fan, but I understand. I understand the reasoning behind them, and and partially it was because we had not adjusted game lengths to go with game size. But, it, you know, there are players who do have big problems with slow play and thus leaving your, their opponents no time to play during the round or such such a small time that either they have to rush through everything or the game ends up ending early and they can basically just play to the first two or three rounds of the game and not have to play through to a natural conclusion, uh, which, you know, also, even in a casual setting, people have other things they need to do. So don't make the game drag out forever if you can help it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be respectful. Be respectful of their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely it. Res be respectful of your opponent's time. They're taking the time to play a game with you. The least you can do is respect that time that they are spending by making sure they get to play too. Uh, avoid distracting an opponent when they are trying to concentrate, and be careful to respect their personal space. I don't see this one come up that often. I think, well, and especially, you know, spa people spacing out has not been an issue over the last year or so. But, right. uh, but I don't see too many players trying to like kind of physically intimidate each other or try to like actively distract each other. I I'm sure it happens. And it's one of those things like they wouldn't have put it in here if it hadn't been an issue that's been brought up before. But right, no. For every for every warning label, there's a backstory. Um, exactly. But uh, I, I, I've I wouldn't say I've ran into this because I definitely haven't been like trying to intentionally distract opponents. But like I think the first uh, Renegade Open that I went to, I was playing a, a really like second round. I was playing a really really good player and got stomped. But like. I was trying to be friendly and like talk to him and stuff like that because, you know, 
podcast, first tournament games like that. And he wasn't, you know, he was like, you, I could kind of tell that he was getting irritated of like, no, nah, I just want to play. Like, don't stop talking to me. Like, yeah. And like, that's fair. So just be respectful, read the room and, and know, you know, know what the, what the level of like banter and back and forth that like a player is willing to put up with. Like it's again, just, you know, being polite and playing the game, playing the game in a way that it's on both of your terms. Yeah. This next one. Oh, I've actually, I have run into this one a number of times and, uh, it, this one can get kind of messy to deal with. Never complain about your bad luck or your opponent's good luck. Now, I do want to draw a line here. It's okay to say, man, I like if I had won that, like if I had won that role or if that combat had gone a different Uh way, man, that would have been a completely different game. That's fine. Because that's not complaining. That's just kind of like saying, oh, man, we know the battle hinged on that moment or, oh, man, when that happened, the, the momentum of the battle completely turned or something like that. That's fine. But. The player who is constantly down, either constantly down about their own bad luck and like, oh, yeah, no, I know I have like you get the person fifth round who of a tournament who's like, man, I haven't gone first all weekend. Uh, yeah, this you, is typical. You said you, uh, you, said you were yeah. going to talk about our, our Renegade Open game, Rob. Come on. <laughs> because <laughs> that was actually a fifth i think that was a fifth round game at renegade open um also true no i i i have this is a thing that i have sometimes struggled with with the game because uh, you know i'll go through periods where the game is more fun and like luck is going my way more so than others and this is a, this is a thing that i've definitely had to like make sure that i am aware of because i will not like not getting mad at the opponent like just getting mad at myself or getting mad at the situation like, I, yeah, like it sucks because it makes your opponent, it's awkward for your opponent. It's awkward for you. Like, at the end of the day, this really, it's just a game. It doesn't matter. Like, but yeah, it's, you have to be aware of it. And I'm glad they put that in here because this is one that I do have to like constantly kind of remind myself of. Yeah. Also, like the second one they put in there, the complaining about your opponent's good luck yes. is a way that sometimes people will use to either explain their own loss as a matter mm. of you didn't out you didn't actually outplay me or you know you, when the chips were down you didn't have more resources to get at you just got lucky i'm actually the better player it's just that you you just kept getting lucky so it's not my fault that i lost it's like that just belittles your opponent the version of this that i heard a lot and granted i was playing tau in like 6th edition so there was some element of tr- to truth to this but like I'd win a game and my opponent would be like, man, tower really good. Like they're a really overpowered codex. And I'm like, cool. Like, it's not that I'm like also know how to play the army, but like, you know, you, you could tell that they're like, man, that army, they, if you were playing a different army, I would have stomped you completely. And I'm like, well, yeah, cause I don't play a other army all the time, but like, yeah, I, so I, I, yeah, it's, I'm glad, again, I'm glad they put this in there because you may not even be intentionally doing it or thinking about it that way, but like, it, it it makes it very awkward for people if you just like bring that up or talk that way because yeah you try it, it feels like you're belittling their play their their luck their army and like that's it's not what we need to be doing yeah even if somebody is playing 
Drukari like right now. And this is like Drukari's been toned down. We'll see how that how they perform at events now that they've been fixed. Or, you know, at least they, they've, you know, been FAQ'd and, and the, the biggest, uh, issues have been addressed. But like, even if somebody's playing like the army du jour, don't sit there and say, well, the only reason you won is because you're playing this army or that army. It's like, I mean, yes, there can be, there can be balance issues, but like, don't take that to be the only reason they won. They may know that army inside and out and know, like, be able to just play it at a very high level. Or they may know your army very well and know, like, this is what I need to do to, to maximize my win chance. Don't, don't just sit there and anything else, just, you're just coming up with excuses why you didn't win. And yes, like I said, sometimes luck will turn against you. It's a dice game that happens. But, at least acknowledge that even when there's bad luck, the winner of the game is the person who's in the better position to capitalize upon that. If you can capitalize on an opponent's bad roll, or if you can weather the storm of your own bad roll and manage to, to mitigate the damage somehow, like that's what makes you a good player, not just because somebody was lucky or not. So just remember that like, yeah, and it's easy to fall into that trap, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm glad they put this in here. And, and it's a good reminder. And then the final one, and I've heard this one rumored even about event, like games at events that we've run. And this is one that can get really messy, especially when you have team awards on the line or team rankings, or you're trying to slingshot somebody up to a higher level in the event. Never fix the outcome of a game. Now, Fortunately, we don't have a betting issue in Games Workshop or, you know, in Warhammer games yet. That we know <laughs> I of. Say yeah. yet, that we it's know of. It's all underground. Get. It's like deep, deep underground betting. Why do you think LVO's in Vegas? I mean, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, uh, like, I, I wouldn't un- be surprised if there is actually an underground under, GW I, betting I'm, I'm actually... I'm actually trying to think, like, I, I don't know that I can think of a more, like, sad crime than, like, underworld 40k illegal betting. Like, I just... <laughs> and I'm a 40k podcaster, so, like... <laughs> but I, I have definitely seen people rumoring, like, collusion at events, where it's like, oh, yeah, we, like, so-and-so decided to throw their game to give, like, their teammate a better matchup in the next game. It's like, we're all at the semifinal tables. I know they're, my my teammate's going to win his game, so I'm going to throw my game because I know his army has a better matchup against my opponent than he'd have against, you know, than he'd have otherwise. Like, I'm, you know, it's like... Yeah, that that has happened. That's a thing that can absolutely happen. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen all that often. And this is really only something that's going to happen at a tournament level. Because most of the time, like in a casual pickup game, like why would you fix the outcome of a game? Right. Like there's there's no <laughs> point. But in a tournament, it absolutely could happen and probably has. And so... Yeah, it's 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 just bad form. It's it'd be like any competitive event. Like 
don't fix the outcome of the game. This isn't sports entertainment. You know, this isn't wrestling where it's scripted. You know, this is a competitive event of some sort that is supposed to reward the player with the best skill. So, yeah, don't fix a game to put somebody else on top. Don't try to play Kingmaker by throwing a game. That's extremely dirty pool that definitely violates that that second principle of always tell the truth and don't cheat. Intentionally losing a game is cheating. Like, intentionally throwing a game is, is cheating. Uh, and sometimes it can be in subtle ways, just by making, you know, substandard decisions. Sometimes it can be in ways that your opponent might might catch thinking you're, but might think that you're just being forgetful because you're tired of not using that particular unit or rule, which is why reminding somebody can be a very important thing to try to shake off somebody who's trying to, you know, throw an event. But uh, hopefully that one doesn't come up much in casual play. God, how sad would it be? It's like, okay, you're going to come over to my house. You're going to win. <laughs> Yeah, because I feel I, bad I take for it, you. <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. Underground 40K illegal betting is not the saddest thing I can think of related to 40K. <laughs> that would be like, it. Colluding to win a friendly game at your friend's house, that may be the saddest thing I've heard. <laughs> it's like, okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to play my Tau. I'm not going to play Farsight Enclaves. I got a Drukari army together. I borrowed it from a friend. You have it. <laughs> and I'm going to play real dumb. <laughs> and I'm going to let you win. Because <laughs> I want you to feel good about yourself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's probably happened when we've played, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to know if that's happened when we've played. <laughs> Is is that is that your entirety? Was it fourth or fifth edition that you didn't win a single game with Tau? Uh, it, were you just playing of, the field? Well, technically all of fourth edition and all of fifth edition, but I only played like one game of fourth edition. So, <laughs> so basically, you're saying all of fifth edition, you were colluding to make your opponents feel better. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was. We'll go I with. was. I was. I was submarining for that moment when we first when they played that first game of sixth edition, and I just like swept through Richard's orcs, and I was like, "Wow, shooting's really good in this game now." <laughs> I should have been yeah. doing that the whole time. <laughs> no, wait. Why was I not taking guns for my Tau? This is super weird. <laughs> so yeah, don't do that. Games Workshop said not to. Dang it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that that is the player's code. Uh, the, so, like I said, two cardinal rules and everything else derives from these. Always be polite and respectful. Always tell the truth and never cheat. All right. Those two rules right there are just rules to live by, much less play games by. Absolutely. Yeah. But the but the individual principles, as you said, every one of these tells us has a backstory and you know it's happened. We've seen it happen in some cases. We've yeah. we've been guilty of doing it in some cases, oh. whether we mean to or not. Yeah. It's yeah. we've all you know, and like just because this is codified again does not mean the Games Workshop is saying that like oh this is now this is serious business. If anything, it doesn't say it's serious business. But as you said, it's respect your opponent, respect their time, is really what it comes down to. Like you both got together yeah. to have fun, and even it, whether that fun is, 
we just threw some models like we just built our first models we have no clue on painting them we just want to play to we are at like table one last round of a major tournament all of these still apply it just depends on like again some of it's reading the room but some of it is just the absolute basic stuff to show that you do respect your opponent because hopefully you're not you know you're playing a game with people that you you do respect and even if you don't like your opponent as as can definitely happen in a tournament you can definitely be paired with somebody who maybe you haven't had the best track record with in the past that still doesn't give you carte blanche to just be a jerk to them especially if it's in a way that's going to affect the game so just you know it it's be excellent to each other is is if we wanted to boil it down to one thing but i do think it's it's good and i think this is the first rule book where we've actually had something like this spelled out not the first or at least the first games workshop rule book i I know Mm. other games have had similar uh rules i think uh like um like, oh gosh, uh, Privateer Press had like, what was it, page mm-hmm. three in the War Machine rules? Yes. Well, and like, and I remember like page three of the War Machine rules, um, one of our friends, Tim, who's played some, you know, games workshop games in the past, he, he basically said like, as he was flipping through that book, he's like, I want to take this page, you know, page three out of the, 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 the War Hordes book and paste it on the front page of every game rule book, like miniatures game, RPG board game. Because it's universal and like it's the way that you should be treating people when you're agreeing to play games with them. And it's like, and and this is kind of what this is. Like, obviously, there's stuff in here specifically about playing miniatures games, but you know, the cardinal rules th- those apply to anything you're doing in life where you're where people or people are agreeing to take time out of their day to do something with you. So be polite and respectful, tell the truth, and never cheat. Like those are. Those apply to everything. That's not even, that's not a game thing. That's just everything that you do in your life. <laughs> right. So yeah, page five uh, was the, the classic page in the War Machine rules. Uh, but also page five was like hyper aggressive. You know, it was kind of like the, the whole play like you got a pair. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I get what they're going bit, yeah. for. But yeah, the, the phrasing is, is a bit messy but uh this is better than that but i but it's the same it's the same idea and i like the idea right yeah this one's probably a little bit like with the the whole thing of like hey make sure your opponent didn't forget anything i'd say it's a little bit you know a little obviously less aggressive in tone but i think the idea behind it is make sure that it's a fair game and that you didn't win purely by your opponent forgetting something and so yeah uh while this is, like I said, this is in the Age of Sigmar rulebook and then their ca- core rules download, I think, yeah, it, it, this is something that can apply to all their games. I would not be surprised if in two years, since we appear to be on three-year cycles for everything, uh, when we have a 10th edition Warhammer 40k rulebook, don't look at me that way. I'm sure it's coming. Um, no, I know it's coming, but I think they should uh, wait a year because we had the world on pause. That didn't stop them from that. releasing Ninth Edition or Age of Sigmar Three, so uh, I don't think they're. I, I, I don't. If a worldwide pandemic is not going to slow down the release cycle that much, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's going to slow things down in like three years. But, but anyway, it's like when the next edition, whenever the next edition of Forty K comes out, I would not be surprised, and I would a- absolutely love to see this reprinted in 
the ninth edition rules as like the very mm-hmm. first page of the core rules. It also does help that uh, Age of Sigmar has gone from being a game where they bragged about how it was like, yeah, the rules are only four pages long to 40 pages of rules, but all in <laughs> relatively large font, clearly bullet pointed out with uh, sidebars and reference numbers and things like that. So um, I'm glad that they took the time to, to squeeze that in and they consider that important enough that they want it to be one of the first things you read. Uh, and that takes us to hobby progress uh hobby progress i have uh been working on well i was working on my uh daughter's cane i have the first few parts of marath of big snack marathi painted um and i was also working on some of the uh the snake ladies that go with her um and then I started trying to figure out what I was going to play for uh, Show Me Showdown. Because right now I have two options because I'm not counting my towel yet. I need to retool them and, and add some things to them before they are playable in this edition. Also, I want to wait for a ninth edition codex that might actually address some of these issues. But uh, So that left me really at this point with either Sisters or Death Guard. Sisters, I would have to rebase. And I have started rebasing them. It is a delicate process because it requires me to cut the old resin bases away from the pegs that are left from the old metal slotta bases, like slotta base tabs that they had. So I have to be very careful not to cut those off. Otherwise, I will have nothing to insert into any of the holes I drill. So I, it takes me a little while. I've got about 10 of them done. And I have... Well, I primed 80 bases because I needed to save 20 for the other unassembled models, at least for 32 mils. So I have like another 70 to go. So it's going to be a while. Um, and so I'm like that also, like, I don't have more of involved built yet. I don't have the Paragon War suits built yet. I like, I have a lot, I would have to crunch on hobby time to get stuff done. So I decided to go with my death guard and, I decided, like, I could go with the list that I had, excuse me, or I could retool a little bit and add some Blightlord Terminators since I bought a box a couple weeks ago. And uh, I decided to go with Blightlord Terminators. So I have seven, yeah, I have seven of them assembled and primed. Uh, Actually, just primed them this afternoon. So uh, they are ready to start painting and with three weeks and seven models to go, plus a couple of additional models that I have, like, mostly painted that I just need to, like, finish up, I should have no problem finishing that before uh, before Show Me Showdown, which is on July 10th and 11th. So, uh, excited to for that to be my first GT in a couple of years. <laughs> and... Well, because I think the last GT... No, I didn't even play in the... The last GT I would have played at might have been... Midmo Maelstrom 2019? Because <laughs> uh, we played in the Friendly at Renegade Open last year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've played in a GT. So, uh, yeah. So, I'll be playing Death Guard. I'm excited for that. And, uh, yeah. So, not a whole lot of models to... to to build and paint so that is even better for getting stuff done nice i haven't done anything um i've been you've been away from your traveling yeah i've been traveling and stuff like that well 
Yeah, and I, I've I've bought a bunch of sister stuff. Like I picked up two boxes of Paragon War suits, Morgan Vall, and uh, the Sacristans. And also, I guess I picked I did pick up Gaunt's Ghosts uh, this past weekend uh, because I, I have no interest in starting a guard army, but I like the models and I can use them for kill team. Or if they ever come up with Inquisitor rules. <laughs> Didn't we also get a box that now we can now send to Kevin? I mean, yes, I do actually have a box <laughs> of the new Cadian. J- Games Workshop sent us a box of the the new Cadian. So if you want me to send that to you, Kevin, that'll that'll help you pad that out. I, I guess you were the last I person mean, on fair? the one, two, three, not it. <laughs> I mean, here's the there thing. I'll take. Oh, here's the thing. I'll take him because I do have some guard models that like I've kit bashed for like inquisitorial henchmen and stuff like that. So sure, if nobody else wants them, I'll take them. Yeah, and uh, like uh, Uncle Adam of uh, Tabletop Minions was like he also received a, a box from GW to review and he was going to use them to build a kill team and then he realized that the way he was going to build them he could only squeeze out 67 points of a kill team <laughs> so it's like it's not enough to build a kill team so he had to fortunately he had a like a leftover box of Tempestus Scions and he yep. was able to use that to pad out the kill team but yeah it's it's not a lot of points in that box cuz it's 10 Cadians <laughs> But, oh. right. but yes, if you would like that, I will, I'll send it to you, Kevin, or you can okay. come pick it up while you're here in KC. Yeah. Well, actually, Maybe. uh, I will see you on Thursday. So yes, that'll work. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I guess for my hobby progress, I'll start a few months ago. Um, Remember how, like, every year they always say, oh, this is the a new year, new army, and that seems to be a slogan that all game stores seem to say. Well, I've definitely fallen down that rabbit hole, and you've probably heard me throughout the year saying I've been working on sisters, and yes, this is my year of the sisters. I'm probably going to take them to Iron Halo. I'm probably going to take them to the U.S. Open in Austin. And so while Rob has and Kevin have bought the things, I've actually put more involved together – um, some Paragon War suits together, the Celestian Sankrescents together, and um, just also normal Battle Sister squads together because I didn't have enough troops. Um, and some more Zephyrums and Seraphims have been put together, and I've been on a roll of putting lots of things together. So now I just have to prime and paint them all. As you said, Rob, I have like 12 weeks to get these like 60 models painted. I can do it, right? Oh yeah, easily, easily. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what I've been you. I doing. I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you, Kev and Rob. So, so hopefully, and throughout the weeks, hopefully, you'll hear more sisters painting updates. Uh, hobby progress for me. I um, let's see. Uh, the The only thing I've really had time to work on has been I started assembling the Silent King and. Boy, that's a lot of pieces. <laughs> I, I, I've I've had about two sittings uh, of working on it. Not super long times, but I've made it through six of the ten pages of instructions to put them together. And oh, wow! And and that's that's at the point where I I need to. I'm probably going to do kind of separate assembly kind of things to make it easier to paint. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a, seems like a model that lends itself well to sub assemblies with all the like because yeah. <laughs> you've got him and the two guys with him, and of course the monoliths are already kind of you know separate models, so right. You know, they're and, they're and kind the, of easy to the, work with, but the the satan shard. Oh yeah, guy at the top, and which I've already glued on, and I'm thinking like maybe I should have left that off and and painted it separate, but. Oh well, it's already on, so we'll we'll deal. <laughs> that that's what an airbrush is for, and then you just say it's a glow effect. All that overspray is just him glowing yeah. that much. Right. <laughs> I've actually exactly. seen people paint it that way, and it it, it it actually works in this case. Yeah. Oh, and that brings us to the end of the episode, which is the morale phase, and I'm gonna go with another Disney Plus show because it's been all the rage lately and episode three is dropping tomorrow episode three of six so we're only a third through it but loki loki has been some fun stuff yeah my my i've watched i've only gotten a chance to watch the first episode so far because uh, my dad was out of town uh last week so i'm i'm we're, we're just gonna wait until episode three comes out and and watch two and three together yeah, it's, it, I, I, I will, really good. I will, yeah, I will not spoil anything for you from episode two. I've already seen like promos for episode three and seen something that, that I would consider a spoiler, but like, yeah, whatever. I don't know like the specific details, so it's not really yeah. spoiled, honestly. All, all, all I will. All I will say is, like, the first episode is a great episode. Like, it's really good. It's really engaging. It sets up a lot – does a lot of great world building. The second episode is better. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I, you know, I, that it, the second episode of all of the individual episodes, like, not the story overall, just the individual, like, episodes of WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode two is probably the best, like, single episode they've done so far and sets up a lot of really interesting, really neat possibilities going forward. For, for Loki, for other shows. And like, I'm really excited to see where they pay that, how they pay that off. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised how everything came to a head very, very like this early yeah. in the series, which then makes you wonder, where do we go from here? Like, what is the ramifications of this and where do we go from here? Now, if anyone is, is unaware of, of the concept behind this show, uh, if you have seen, Avengers Endgame, and I'm, I do not hesitate to put out spoilers for a, like, three or four year old movie at this point that, for the, like, for the highest grossing film of all time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if you haven't seen it by now, too bad. Basically, at one point in the story, the Avengers are going back in time to find all the, uh, Infinity Stones and bring them back with the understanding that, Later on, they're going to have to, or they find out later on, they're going to have to put them back in their proper places in the timeline, which is kind of a hint of things to come. And at one point, Loki at the, so basically they go back to 2012 and the Battle of New York where Loki faced down the Avengers for the first time. And in that scene, Loki manages to get his hands on the Tesseract and bamfs out of, of the film. And that's like the last we see of him in the movie and this story picks up immediately from where that left off. In fact, they replay that scene with just a little bit of extra 
extra footage that they filmed just for this show that they kind of cut in. But uh, we find out that Loki managed to teleport himself out into the middle of nowhere of Mongolia. And then he gets picked up by the time cops. And like, again, not a spoiler. This happens in like the first five minutes of the show. Right. Gets picked up as the time cops because he has now created a time branch that wasn't supposed to happen, which was him escaping from the Avengers with the Tesseract. And he, it turns out that there's an entire group called the Time Variance Authority, which has been tasked with maintaining what they refer to as the sacred timeline, the one continuity that should happen and Anything that would deviate from that must be any branch that would deviate from that must be pruned so that the the canon timeline can continue as it is meant to be. And the the TVA is tasked with doing that pruning and catching all the weird variants of different people and removing them from existence. And <laughs> Yeah, and so everything kind of goes from there and finding out that this Loki is not the first Loki they've caught, and they are going to use him, though, to track down another variant of someone who is causing trouble, and they need his assistance. And if he he helps, they might not delete him from existence. And that's kind of where episode one ends. And episode two kind of gets into the detective work, but I would be doing a disservice if I did not mention that Owen Wilson is fantastic in his role as Mobius Mobius, the, yes. the time cop that has taken taken interest in Loki's case. And the chemistry between him and Tom Hiddleston and the banter back and forth and such is fantastic. Yeah, the one thing that they've that I think all three of the Marvel uh, Disney Plus shows have done really well uh, at this point, is taking these characters to movies that are kind of side characters, because Loki's more of a main character than some of the other ones, but, you know, Sam and Bucky, Wanda and Vision, and putting them in situations that are very unique, and, like, where they can play off each other and kind of build up both characters. Because, like, in my opinion, Falcon Winter Soldier was very good, but, like, the best part of that was that, like, Sam and Bucky's relationship it's different than than Steve and Bucky's, but like it's just as dynamic. Like the chemistry's just as much there, and like that's the thing with this. Like Loki has a really great chemistry with Thor, but he has a really great chemistry with Mobius. Mobius, and it's like that's that's really cool. Like just to see him play off all of these weird scenarios and be and be Loki about it. Like it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. Is also this is this is Loki. Before any of the events of Thor 2 and Ragnarok. And so he's still the smarmy villain Loki that we yeah. remembered back from 2012. And, oh, Tom Hiddleston is playing it up to the hilt. Also, I noticed that he is an executive producer on the show. So he got to really decide how he wanted to play it. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which means this is a labor of love for him, too. Like, he's enjoying yeah. this. And so... Like, that's the best kind of performance where somebody, like, they're directly invested into it because because they enjoy doing it. And and he is enjoying chewing on all the scenery. All of it. <laughs> all of it goes in his mouth. Although I will say the, the moment that – the moment in episode one that just breaks him 
is such a cool moment because it completely trivializes everything from the MCU for the last decade. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like that they're not, they're, they're simultaneously taking it serious because, you know, the, the characters are taking it seriously and they're like, it's an important thing that they're doing, but the show isn't, is like also like winking at itself and like, no, like we're playing with time. We're, you know, we can retcon things here with the timeline. We can do, you know, we can set things up and it's just enjoy it. Like it's, it's nothing's that serious. And I really did appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I will say like, this is this show, like the, the previous shows have kind of hinted at like what's going to happen next, what's going on with the story like, there were things about Falcon and Winter Soldier that were, like, twists, but then it's like, oh, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. We we saw that before, or, or yeah, or, nah, I knew it. Yeah, that, yeah, it's like, there were some surprises, but for the most part, it's like, you could kind of see where the narrative is going. So far with Loki, I have no idea what's going to happen next. I have no idea what episode three is going to be like, and I'm I'm so here for that. Like, I'm enjoying not having any clue where this is going next, because they are really treading at least for the mcu completely uncharted territory and while i know a lot of this stuff has like deep comic lore background and is actually decently uh faithful to some of the some of the lore from from the comics like we're talking from like the 60s and 70s i don't know enough about that to to know what's going to go on and i kind of don't want to dig for it i want to be surprised and I'm, i'm enjoying the ride so far Yep. I will also mention a a show that I have been, been enjoying. It is also a Marvel show. It's on Hulu, and it's the Modoc show. Ah, yes. I've only watched the first episode <laughs> of that, but I keep meaning to go back to it because it's it, Patton it is, Oswalt. It, yes, it is Patton Oswalt. What 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 if Robot Chicken but Modoc? Yes. And, yeah, and I'm it's good. I'm it, there. It, <laughs> I'm there for it. It's pretty entertaining. And it goes through a lot of like weird, wacky stuff that like really only like robot chicken style show can pull off. Yeah. And and, yeah, from the one episode I've seen of it so far, yeah, it's like, I know it's like a lot of the robot chicken crew was working on it. And especially as far as like writing. And oh, yeah, it is so that it's that that exact style of humor, but then combined with Pat Oswalt, who also has been writing a Modoc comic book for a couple of years now for Marvel. Right. Yeah. So it's somebody who, who is a total geek who, who loves the lore, who is completely familiar with it also happens to be a really funny guy writing it. So yeah, I, I like, there's nothing to not like about that. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, I can strongly, I finished it like, uh, this last weekend. It was, it was one of the things I had on while I was working on the Silent King. So it, like, I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, uh, a, a couple of very strong recommendations of, of Marvel based entertainment for your viewing pleasure, whether you want something a little bit more weird and mysterious or just goofy as hell and fun. So actually both, I think both qualify as fun, but definitely fun in different ways. 
And yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for episode 240. Like I said, this was going to be a short one. We didn't even take a break in the middle. Uh, we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks once Age of Sigmar is out and more stuff starts coming down the pipes. Theoretically, we could be looking at Grey Knights and Thousand Suns soon. Maybe? Yeah. Possibly? Hmm. Oh, and they did... One thing I... I I guess kind of slipped through the the news and new releases is they did confirm that there is going to be a new orc boys kit coming. Ah, yes. We've seen one model with a left-handed slugger. Yep. But uh, that's, that's all we have so far. So it's, it, it's still, still unknown when that's coming, but considering again, that uh, the gray Knights and thousand suns books were supposed to be out by now. I imagine they're, they're on the list next anyway. So we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, but until then, from all of us here at preferred enemies, I'm your host, Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night. Good gaming. And as always, just be excellent to each other. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve.